you're listening to the Deeper Christian Bible Study Series in the Book of Ephesians. Thank you for joining me, Nathan Johnson, on an in-depth, verse-by-verse study of this incredible book by Paul. Now, let's dive into the lesson for today. Well, if you have your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1 this morning. Uh, So we've been slowly working through these first few verses of the book of Ephesians, which has been kind of fun and exciting. And just so it's fresh in our minds, I want to read uh, verses 3 and 4 with you. Again, this is the blessings section that Paul has been working in, uh, talking about the overwhelming blessings that we have in Jesus Christ. And Paul begins in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Paul writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him and love. Look again at verse 4. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him and love. Uh, Last time we were looking at this idea of the choosing. And we were walking through this concept, the fact that you have been chosen. Isn't that awesome? And it's not like you're the last pick of a choosing. This isn't like, well, uh, maybe I hope I'm chosen. This isn't a, well, maybe at some point in my life I am chosen. This is, hey, you are essential. God has chosen you. And when did he choose you? Well, before the foundations of the world. So even before God said, let there be light. Isn't it an exciting thought that you were on his mind? Uh, that this isn't a last pick kind of thing. You were God's very first pick kind of a concept. In other words, uh, you cannot come to the scriptures and say, oh, I was an accident. You, you, cannot, you cannot come to that conclusion scripturally. Now, your parents may have said that to you, and that may have been true from their perspective. But hey, that is not true from God's perspective. Why? You are not an accident. Hey, this was intentional. That he has been waiting all these years for this time period. For you to come on the scene. Why? You are absolutely essential to his purpose and his plan. Now, he doesn't need you. Right? I mean, he has angels to do his bidding. And hey, he can make rocks sing better than you can. It's the epic rock band, right? <laughs> so hey, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't need you. He, he has all that stuff. But do you recognize that even though he may not need you, he wants you. And he has chosen you. And hey, again, you are not an accident. Hey, your gender is not by accident. Hey, hey, your personality is not by accident. Now, all of that needs to be refined. That's, that is so true. Okay, it needs to be sanctified. That is very true. But do you realize that God has a purpose and a plan? And even before he said, let there be light, he had an intention. He had a desire. He had this thought. And you were smack dab in the middle of it. Which is a phenomenal idea. That is so encouraging to me. Now, when we look at this idea of choosing, it's interesting that the choosing actually has a purpose. Now, last time we said there's two aspects to this idea of the choosing. One, it's the fact that it's personal. In other words, this isn't just, isn't just some random choosing. This isn't choosing a group. This is, it's a personal choosing. He has looked at you square in the face and said, I am choosing you. And this is a personal choosing. But this choosing has a purpose. And what's the purpose? Well, when you come back into our passage, 
Paul writes, verse 4, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be something. Paul says the whole choosing is so that you would be holy and blameless. Uh, that word holy, the idea of holiness, uh, for whatever reason in the church today, holiness has kind of gotten a bad rap. Uh, holiness has kind of been a drag, drab kind of a thing. It's just like, a, oh, bummer, it's the things I don't get to do. That, that, you don't find any, any of that in Scripture. Holiness is never a negative in Scripture. Holiness is always a positive. Holiness is not what you don't get to do. Holiness is what you get to do. Now, biblically, I can prove to you that God is holy. Amen. Amen. I can biblically prove to you God is holy. And not even just holy, but he is holy, holy, holy. Right? Okay. If you were here last night... <clears throat> That word holy, again, is this idea of separation. It means other than. It means different from. In other words, what God is saying is, I am not like you, I'm not like you, I'm not like you. I'm other than, other than, other than. I am set apart, set apart, set apart. That, that here's the world, and he's like, I'm, I'm different than that. And you realize that he is calling you into that? It's, it's amazing as you come into the New Testament Several times throughout the New Testament, the New Testament writers are quoting the Old Testament, specifically, specifically Leviticus. And I'll just give you one passage, but 1 Peter 1.16, uh, Peter is quoting Leviticus 11.44, which says, For I am the Lord your God, consecrate yourselves therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. You shall not defile yourselves. And Peter says, do you recognize that the calling that God has upon our life is the fact that because he is holy... In fact, he's holy, holy, holy. That you are being called into that. That you are to be holy as he is holy. You are to be separate just as he is separate. How you are to be other than just like he is other than. Are you? Well, I'm mostly different. But I still look a lot like the world. That's not holiness. You realize holiness is a call to come out of, is to be different than, that we may be in the world, but we are not of the world. Uh, one biblical scholar said it this way. I really liked how he phrased it. Uh, let me just read this to you. <clears throat> he said, in the early church, Christians never had any doubt that they must be different from the world. They, in fact, knew that they must be so different that the probability was that the world would kill them and it certainly was that the world would hate them. But the tendency in the modern church has been to play down the difference between the church and the world. We have, in effect, often said to people, well, as long as you live a decent, respectable life, it is quite all right to become a church member and call yourself a Christian. You don't need to be so different from other people. When, in fact, Christians should be easily identifiable in the world. Christ did not take us out of the world. He makes us different within the world. It's a great statement. Uh, Leonard Ravenhill said that in our modern day, we are more afraid of holiness than we are of sin. 
that we literally shy away from being holy. And we only step forward into the midst of the sin stuff. You realize that is not a Christian. A Christian is called to be holy. And you have been chosen. God has handpicked you. <clears throat> Even before the foundations of the world, God says, hey, I'm choosing you. Why? To be just like me. And God is calling you to be like the one who is choosing you, which is holy. And Paul says it's not just holiness that you, it, it, which is the purpose of this choosing. It's holiness and this idea of being blameless. Uh, that word blameless has this idea of without spot or blemish. It has the idea of faultlessness. And it goes back to the Old Testament idea of sacrifice. Uh, here are the Levitical priests, and they, they bring all these sheep in, and they're going to do some sacrificing. Oh, it's going to be a good day. Blood's going to be everywhere. Oh, love it. And the priests will literally take the little lamb or take the, you know, take the ox or the, the bull or whatever they're going to sacrifice, the goats, and they would begin to examine it. And they would look it all over and they would make sure that there are no defects, uh, that there are no broken bones. Uh, they would make sure there is no spot or blemish upon the little animal. Why? Because you do not give God what is convenient. You give God the best. And if we are going to sacrifice an animal unto the Lord, we must give our absolute best. So no broken bones. Hey, if something has a broken bone, I'll just keep that for myself. God's going to get the very best of my flock. Right? That, that I'm only going to take, and it's going to be potentially even painful for me. But I'm giving God the very best. And so the priest would look over and make sure there's no spot, make sure there's no blemish, make sure that the little animal is completely faultless, and then that is offered as a sacrifice. Do you realize that Paul in Romans says that you are to be a living sacrifice? Which means what? There better not be any spot or blemish. That there should be no junk in our lives. That there should not be broken bones called sin in our lives. That he is healed and he is cleansed and he's changed and he's transformed and he's renewed and he's, he's forgiven. Why? So that we could be a living sacrifice. And he is calling us to be without blemish. He's calling us to be holy and spotless just like he is. Let me give you a whole bunch of verses. I think these are rich. <clears throat> First Peter 1, verse 19. Peter writes, You were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without spot and without blemish. You realize that Christ was without spot and blemish, and he was our perfect sacrifice? Why? To bring about redemption in our life. Why? So that we too can be like him without spot, and without blemish. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 27, uh, speaking about Jesus choosing the bride, the church, and, and the whole marriage uh, section there. But it says that he might present her, the, the bride, the church, to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she should be holy and without blemish. Do you know what the church it's supposed to look like pure, spotless, holy. Colossians 1, verse 21 and verse 22 says, And you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he is reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. Hebrews 9, 14. How much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself 
without spot to God. Cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. You have been cleansed. Why? You're to be without blemish. Jude 1.24. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. Isn't that a phenomenal verse? Be a good one to memorize. He is able to keep me from stumbling. I don't have to stumble any longer. Because he's able to keep me from it. And he goes on and says, And to present you faultless, which is that word blameless, before the presence of the glory with exceeding joy. This is exciting. Tell your faces. <laughs> this is good stuff. Revelation 14, 4 through 5. And it says, speaking about the, the, the church uh, or, the, or the martyrdom people and in, in, uh, in the eternal things. And in their mouth was found no deceit, for they were without fault before the throne of God. Do you realize that the tenor of Scripture is this declaration that you and I, as the bride of Christ, is to be like our groom? That you have been chosen, that he has called you, even for the foundations of the world. Why? That you might be holy and without blemish. Why? Because he is holy and without blemish. That there shouldn't just be junk just sitting in our lives. That he's wanting to bring about a cleansing. He's wanting to be, he wants to bring about forgiveness. He wants to bring about transformation. So why would you harbor your little sin and keep and say, no, no, don't touch it. When he so desires to free you from it. That you don't have to live trapped in your past. I love 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. That there's this idea that there's this, a line that's been drawn in the sand. And who you once were is no longer who you are in Christ Jesus. That your past no longer defines you. What defines you? Jesus. And in Christ, you are a brand new creation. That you're different. Now, you may look the same. You may talk the same. You may smell the same. But you are not the same. Why? Because there's been a new radical thing that has changed in you. And your identity is no longer in your past. Your identity is in Jesus. Isn't that an amazing thought? I love this idea of the change of identity. Ah, you have this alcoholic. And my identity has been in alcohol. And so I go up to him and say, well, tell me about your past. Well, I'm a recovering alcoholic. Well, when's the last time you had a drink? 37 years ago. I, 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 I Doesn't that just make you not an alcoholic? I'm a recovering one. Do you know how, I, and I know why they say that, but do you know how dumb that sounds to me? Because for the rest of their life, their identity is still in the junk. And they're recovering from it. If you haven't had a drink in 37 years, you're not an alcoholic. That's great news! Isn't it? Isn't it interesting that so many times when we're facing temptation, the reason we keep falling into temptation is because we, we, we look back and we, our identity is in the junk. And therefore we say, oh, if my identity is in the junk, then that defines me, which means I probably should give in to the temptation. Classic example, at least for the guys, 
right? Lust has just like grabbed a hold of my life, and lust has defined my life year after year after year. Lust is my life. So this big temptation shows up and says, hey, will you give in to lust? And I look at my life, and I go, oh, I'm a recovering, that, hey, this should be my problem, that, that I used to be an addict or whatever it may be, and my identity is still in that. Therefore, it's a whole lot easier to give in. Why? Because my identity is still in that. Did that make any sense? Do you know what would happen if your identity was not in that, it was in Jesus? Do you know how that changed temptation? Temptation shows up and says, hey, give in to this. Why? Because you've always given into it. That's not who I am anymore. That my identity is not that, my identity is Jesus. And if my identity is Jesus, what am I going to give into? Whatever's in Jesus. That this no longer has to define my life. Jesus defines my life. Does this make any sense? Do you realize how this could change your life? I don't want to be a recovering alcoholic. I want to be a Christian. I don't want to be a recovering whatever. I want to be a Christian. And I don't want my identity to be something tied into my past that I'm recovering from. And it takes year after year after year after year. And hopefully at some point there comes a transition where that no longer defines me. If you're in Christ, that no longer defines you. That there's been a line that's drawn in the sand, and that no longer is you. You're in Christ. And he has become your identity. Why? He desires to make you pure and holy and spotless and blameless. That you are in Christ, which means you are a brand new creation. And yes, again, you might look the same, you might smell the same, but you are not the same. That someone should look at your life and say, you're not you. Praise the Lord. I don't want to be me. I have messed up me. But what if that wasn't my identity anymore? What if he was my identity? And if he was my identity, do you realize that what's going to change in my life is that his life is going to start defining me? That my life is going to start to look holy and blameless that he's going to start changing my thought processes. He's going to change my attitude. He's going to change my language. He's going to change my heart. Because I'm full of him. And again, this is not mimicking him. I'm going to grip my teeth. I'm going to pull this off. I'm going to take cold showers. That doesn't work, folks. That, that's an external thing. It's, it's a cloak you put on that doesn't change the heart stuff. And yes, there's obedience, and yes, there's a pressing in, and yes, you're involved, and yes, there's activity. I'm, I'm all for that kind of stuff. That there's a doing in Christianity. But do you realize the doing comes out of the resting of being in him? And you are full of his life, which means he begins to change you, and he begins to shape you and mold you, and you become more and more like him. Not because you're attempting to be more like him. Because you just can't help it. Because you're tight. Do you know what we call someone who lives like that? Yeah, we'd probably have to call them a Christian, wouldn't we? Because they look like Jesus. And what if my identity was not in anything else but one thing? Jesus. That's what Paul's getting at, folks. That's what the whole book of Ephesians is. Hey, would you have your position, your identity in Jesus Christ? And there's going to be an outflow that comes from that. And yes, there's activity that flows from that. But is your life in him? 
Is your identity him? Is the boundaries of your life him? Is your thinking marked by him? Is your attitude marked by him? Is your life oriented toward him? And Paul says, hey, when you get smack dab in the middle of this, you're going to start looking like him. And you have been chosen before the foundations of the world. Why? To look just like him. So with all of that as a background, I want to give you really quickly three aspects of this idea of being holy and blameless. That if we are truly to be holy and blameless, three aspects. Number one, consecration. Uh, The idea of consecration is this idea of being separate from and other than. Again, it's just another word for this idea of holiness. But you realize that what God desires to do in your life is to literally set you apart and make you different. That if you are going to be marked by a life of holiness and blamelessness, then you will not look like the world around you. You are going to be separate and different and other than the world. I love this idea in in, uh, 2 Kings and in 2 Chronicles. There's a story of King Josiah, and King Josiah is a young man, and uh, he becomes king. He follows this really corrupt father, and he becomes king as a young young little lad. And as as a teenager, they find the word of the Lord, and Josiah hears the word of the Lord, and he is so pierced to the heart. He goes, everything has to change. We cannot, we cannot do the same thing we've always done. And he literally goes for the entire kingdom, and he just starts tearing everything down and throwing things in the trash and burning things up on the hills. And Why? It's a, it's a consecration. It's a purging of everything that is not holy. Do you know what God wants to do in your life? That. And listen to this. This is in Second Chronicles 34. And though this is historical, I want you to hear it in terms of your life. That this is what consecration looks like. That if you're going to be made holy and blameless, this will be an aspect of your life. Listen, it says, Thus Josiah removed all the abominations from all the country that belonged to the children of Israel, and made all those who were present in Israel diligently serve the Lord their God. All his days they did not depart from following the Lord their God of the fathers. Do you realize that he went and purged out everything that was not of God? Do you know what you should be asking Jesus to do in your life? That you would allow the Holy Spirit to search and try my heart and anything that is not of you, anything that is not of your nature, anything that is not according to your standard and perfection, your righteousness according to the word, will you purge it from my life? Even if it's the, the high altars that have been there for years and 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 years, tear them down. Because Lord, I do not want anything in my life that is not reflecting you. It's a crazy thought to think if we had a few moments and we could somehow bring you up and kind of bring a video camera or a screen up and plug you into it somehow and then kind of just show the last 24 hours of your life and somehow we could get into your thought process, everything you've thought for the last 24 hours. We can get into your your attitudes for the last 24 hours. Uh, If we can get into your motives for the last 24 hours, would it showcase Jesus? Or would you be like, don't put me on the screen? <laughs> Please don't put me on the screen. Isn't it a sad thought that a lot of us, even over 24 hours, by being even here, we're like, I don't want to be on the screen. Do you realize if you have that attitude, that stuff needs to go. 
That stuff needs to be purged. That stuff shouldn't define your life. Wouldn't it be interesting if someone could watch your life at any moment of the day and they would just see Jesus? That's a Christian, folks. A Christian is not one that's just merely publicly demonstrating Jesus when everyone's around and then when they're alone by themselves, they go off and hide in this corner and they just do a bunch of junk. That's hypocrisy. That if you're called to be holy and blameless, then your life will be consecrated at every moment of every single day. That when something comes in that is not of Jesus, you quickly repent and say, God, I cannot have this in my life. Would you do something in me? Would you change my affections? Would you change my perspective? Would you change my heart? I, I cannot live this way. Not just consecration, but secondly, there's this idea of consumption. It's interesting that when you are made holy, it creates an overwhelming, intense consumption for more of him. If you find that your spiritual life is lacking, and you just kind of find it to be kind of a drag, and you're just kind of like, ah, I don't know if I want to be in the Word today, and, and man, I just, I just, ah, I don't know, I just feel so tired, and do you realize that's a, it's a great warning sign to say there's probably something off? It's like a flashing light in your soul saying, uh, warning, warning, problem coming soon, warning. And if you don't heed that, usually a problem happens. But if you begin to find that your affections toward Jesus only increases and increases and increases and increases, and you become more and more consumed and obsessed and crazy about Jesus, it's a great sign that holiness is doing its work in you. Because as he is making you blameless and spotless, as he is making you holy as he is holy, one of the elements of that is you will be more and more and more consumed with him. And you will love him more and more and more. And you'll want to obey him more and more and more. And you'll want to look like him more and more and more. And you'll just want to spend more time with him more and more and more. And you'll just be, you'll be crazy for Jesus. And it's a great sign of holiness in your life. So me personally, if I start to find that my spiritual life is waning, and things are starting to become more dull or more kind of mediocre or just kind of, I'm just kind of coasting by, that's a warning sign in my soul. That I'm allowing something of the world or the affections or an attitude or something to creep into my life because I'm not being more and more consumed with him. Uh, and lastly, not just the consecration and not just the consumption, but there's this idea of the Christ-likeness. Do you realize the whole purpose of holiness is to make you like him? And what would it look like if this wasn't about you and this wasn't about your attitude and this wasn't about your whatever? This was about him. And what does he want to do in and through you? Well, what would it look like if you would press in and begin to have his heart and his mind and his attitude and his language and his affections and his focus and his... And what if you really did, in fact, have the mind, the mindset of Christ Jesus? How would that change you? And again, what would happen if your identity was not in you? What if your identity was all about him? And you begin to be shaped more and more like him. Paul says, do you not know? You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And you realize that Jesus is jealous over his temple. It's a place of holiness. It's a place of blamelessness. And one day Jesus comes into the temple and he starts to notice that all this 
just little stuff from the world has creeped in to the temple. And they're doing a bunch of buying and selling, all this kind of stuff. And it's not, there's not a purity in the temple. So what does Jesus do? Takes a moment, he builds a whip. And he takes a whip. And with righteous anger, drives them out. He's throwing over tables, letting all these little animals fly and get, get out. He's yelling. And you're like, oh no. I thought Jesus was love. That is love. It's a righteous love. He is jealous over his temple. And Paul says, do you not know that you are the temple? That there should be a purity. That this place should be a house of prayer, as Jesus says. That this place is a place of communion and intimacy with God. That this place, my life, becomes a place that is marked by his life, by his presence, his holiness, his purity, his blamelessness. Does that define you? My guess is, if we're to be honest, most of us would say, ah, got something in my life that shouldn't be there. That if the Holy Spirit was truly coming through my life with a fine-tooth comb, I would realize, you know what? There's some stuff that probably shouldn't be there. There's attitudes that are wrong. There's habits that are still gripping my life. There's still mindsets that need to be purged and renewed and transformed. And I'm a little quick on my temper at times. And what if you would take your whole life afresh and just lay it before the Lord? What if you just take your whole life and just say, Jesus, oh, make me holy and blameless? And don't be discouraged. This is lifelong. That he's wanting to work this process of sanctification in you day by day by day. And he's purging more and more out of your life. And he's making you more and more, every single day, more like Jesus. Hey, so don't, so, hey, don't get weary. Don't go frustrated by the fact that this is a process. It's says, hey, it's good. But don't withhold. Don't shy. Don't pull back. Hey, when he puts his finger of conviction on you, freshly yield it to him. Let him come and change and transform you. Let him get a hold of your language and of what you talk and how you talk. Hey, let him get a hold of your heart and what drives your affections. Let him get have your emotions. Let him have your mindset. Your whole life is to become, is to come under the authority of Jesus. It's to be freshly surrendered to him. Hey, will you be consecrated? Hey, will you be consumed? Will you let him make you Christ-like? And would you let him become your identity? Those are the kind of people we call Christians. Because they reflect Christ. Don't you want to be one? Jesus, Lord, you are holy and blameless without spot or blemish. And it's so profound to me that you have called me to be just as you are. That the one who has called me before the foundations of the world is desiring for me to be just like the one who called me. 
Lord, what would it look like to be in the world but not of the world? That the world and its thought processes and its attitudes does not define my life. Well, what would it look like not to live under the tyranny of sin? Lord, what would it look like to truly walk in this life with purity and freedom and life and blamelessness without spot or blemish? Lord, is that even possible? And yet your word calls me to it, which obviously means it's possible. And yet my best attempts at this, my best efforts is still but filthy rags. So Lord, what that shows then is I can't merely pull this off in my own effort. I can't merely grip my teeth and pull this thing. I cannot accomplish this on my own. So Lord, I want to just freshly come and surrender and say, would you do it in my life? And yes, I want to obey. And yes, I want to press in. And, and, and yes, I, I want to have the fullness of you. And, and, and yes, I, hey, yeah, I understand there's action in this. But, and I'm fully participating. I get that, Jesus. But Lord, you're going to have to change my heart. And Lord, you're going to have to change my mind. And you're going to have to change my attitude and my emotions and my language. And hey, you're going to have to change my focus and my attention. And Lord, I just want to freshly come and surrender I want to respond to your conviction and say, yes, Lord, have at it. Purge and refine anything in my life. Lord, it's such an amazing thought in my head that in the Old Testament, these little lambs who were without, they they had blemishes and they had spots and, well, they were just rejected. And yet you have taken us and every single one of us has spots and blemishes. And you haven't just rejected us, you've changed us so that we could be pure and spotless and holy. Lord, thank you for your process of sanctification in our lives, that you're not done with us. You don't just dust us off and say, good luck and try harder, but that you, O oh Lord, are walking us through day by day by day, moment by moment, and you're refining and changing and shaping us. Lord, I pray that we would be consecrated unto you, that you would make us like you are, that we look different and other than the world, that somehow this world would know that we are Christians, not because we wear T-shirts, not because we have necklaces on that have crosses. It's not because of even the things we say. It's just we are so different. We live different. We think different than everyone else around us. They just go, wow, you must be a Christian. Hey, Lord, could we be consumed with you? Could our affections for you only increase and expand and grow and deepen that somehow, Lord, that we would, we would recognize the warning sign of our lives, the, the flashing lights when we grow cool towards you. Lord, we don't want to be cool towards you. We want to be fiery hot. We want to be consumed. We want to be obsessed. We want to be growing. We want this thing to expand and get better and better and deeper and deeper. And, and Lord, we do want to be Christ-like. Oh, shape us, Jesus. Hey, do whatever is necessary in our lives to bring about a reflection of you in and through us. Mm, What a reality, Jesus. We need that. I need that. So Lord, we just set our lives afresh in your hands and we say thank you and we love you and we want to press in afresh today. Lord, we just give you the praise and the glory. In your precious, powerful name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this study from the book of Ephesians with Nathan Johnson. 
If you would like additional resources to help you build your life around Jesus, I encourage you to check out my website at deeperchristian.com. This podcast is the audio version taken from my video series in Ephesians. And if you'd like to view the video version of this study, you can do so by going to deeperchristian.com forward slash Ephesians. Know I am cheering you on as you build your life around and upon Jesus Christ. See you next time.